So we are continuing uh, this series this morning titled Hebel. And Hebel um, is a word that happens uh, over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we are studying our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And this book is one, and it's not an easy book. It's one that uh, it can be kind of confusing and, and, and uh, hard to understand. Um, but that's one of the reasons we're studying through it is because, you know, um, Again, it's in God's word, so there's a reason. It's there. So we're going we're gonna to dive into it and, and uh, just face the challenge head on. And we started this a couple weeks ago uh, with week one as we kind of laid the foundation, looked at the bigger picture of where Ecclesiastes fits in the Bible. Uh, we know that, again, that Ecclesiastes is in the poetry section of the Old Testament, and it is one of three books uh, known as the wisdom literature. And uh, the, the first piece of that puzzle is the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs comes as all of these books together strive to answer the question, what does uh, life look like with wisdom? What does, what does a wise life look like as you live it out? Uh, and so Proverbs comes from the angle of, of the loving grandmother with her optimistic view. Uh, and we hear that tone come through Proverbs. Uh, and then Ecclesiastes is the second piece of this puzzle that comes at it from a completely different point of view. Um, we hear two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, both of them uh, written by Solomon, but he uses two voices, one the author that opens and closes the book, and then we have the teacher that is the, the heart of the book and the inside of it, and, and the teacher is a pessimist. He is a guy that, that looks comes from the negative side of life um, and, and through that and, and sees, again, how how hebel life is, and this word hebel that is translated as meaningless, or in the King James translated as vanity, um, and this is a word that's hard to understand, that's even hard to translate, and which is why a lot of different translations use different words for it, um, but it's a concept, again, that, that we're trying to grasp as we watch, again, the teacher wrestle with this idea of hebel, right, that life, that, and in fact, in life, it's, it's beautiful and yet mysterious, um, there are things that, that just simply don't make sense. And there's, there's, uh, it looks like there's solid answers, and then when you grasp to them, they just, they, there's no substance or, or disappearing. The fact that there are just simply some questions that don't have good answers. And that we look at this world, and it just seems incredibly pebble. Okay, and, and with that said, again, this, this word, we see it used over and over and over again uh, throughout the book, and, and, just, and it's usually like, like chasing the wind. Right, that it, it, we want it to make sense, but yet we just never catch it. Um, and then we had the, the third piece of the wisdom literature puzzle is the book of Job. And that is an, a narrative uh, story about a man who loved God and it posed the question of, do we only love God because of the blessings he gives? Okay, and then we see that narrative story play out uh, in Job. And, and these three books make up the wisdom literature in the Bible that, that seek to ask the question, what uh, what does a wise lived life look like, right? And what role does God play in that? As we see that, again, if we look at Solomon is, this, is the author of Ecclesiastes. He was the king of Israel. Um, he asked God, um, you know, asked him, what do you want? As, as he took over uh, the throne from his father, David, and, and, and he says, Lord, I want wisdom. And so God grants him wisdom. So he's the wisest man to ever live. And, and along with that wisdom comes wealth and prosperity. Again, he served in Israel at a time of peace and, and of prosperity. He built the, the, the temple in Jerusalem as king. 
Um, and, and along with that, again, he, he, he was um, at the highest level, right, of that Israel was ever at as king. Um, and, and again, as we look at that, even throughout history, he was uh, obviously the wisest man who ever lived, as God gave him wisdom, but also probably the most richest man to ever live uh, on this earth. And so as we look at that, again, we see um, all of these, these different ideas that are presented in Ecclesiastes. And remember, we looked at the fact that Ecclesiastes is not a book about God. It is not a theological book, okay? but it is a book of human ideas. Okay? As, as Solomon, as the teacher, wrestles with these observations and things of life, um, and realize, again, it's not a box, uh, a theological book about God, but it is an ideological book about human ideas. And yet, he never questions that God exists, he never questions God's sovereignty, and he never questions that God loves us. And so, through this, we've looked, um, and, you know, we've, we've worked our way through, but with, when looking at the conclusion, which is where, again, we're going to start again today, the conclusion the author gives us at the end of the book, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, that's the whole story, and here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Again, the conclusion is that life is completely hebel. Everything is hebel except for God. Right? And that's the only thing that brings meaning into our life is, is God. Right? That everything without God is hebel. And so last week we looked at, again, these, these different things where as, as, as Solomon, um, you know, rambles throughout the book and, and he, he bounces from topic to topic all, all the way through. Um, as the teacher gives us this pessimistic view of the world. And with that, though, there are certain themes that rise to the top. Um, and, and again, how everything is Hebel, right, except for God, and yet we still try to seek these different things within our world and our life to find meaning. Last week, we looked at success, right, and how we can, we can uh, again, seek success, we desire success, and try and find meaning in that. Um, and we looked and compared at, at worldly success versus godly success. Right, as he taught, as we saw him uh, with those ideas last week. So today, we are going to focus on seeking pleasure and wealth. Right? And I think we realize that our world um, revolves around, truthfully. Right? We watch not just our American culture, but, but the world culture, always looking for the next good time. Right? And the only thing that's better than the next good time is a whole lot of money. And, and we, we see that, again, money makes our world go round, and we, we know that, and we see that. And so, again, this is coming, again, from the perspective of somebody who was the wealthiest person to ever live on the face of the planet. Right? And so from that comes a very unique perspective. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look at, uh, again, how hebel is it to seek pleasure and wealth? And so we're going to start this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Verse 1. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open there with me. Um, if you don't have your own Bible, there are ones provided for you in the seat pockets in front of you. You notice on the outline are page numbers of where you can find these passages in those Bibles. And so I invite you to open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 uh, as we start, uh, again, this journey this morning of saying, uh, is there any meaning in pleasure and wealth? So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 1, where it says, I said to myself, Come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. And so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. 
In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labor. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so pebbled, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Again, as we read these incredibly uplifting words of Solomon, right, of, of realizing, right, that he says, literally, yes, he says, I denied myself no pleasure. Right? There was nothing in this world that anybody could desire that I couldn't get. He's like, and I dove right in. Right? I, I went for it. And he's like, and yet he gets, as he experienced all of these things in this world that, that supposedly bring us pleasure. Right? As, as you know, he says, but it was, it was all hevel. Like, it, it, it didn't mean anything. Right? It was all completely empty. Now, as, as we look at this passage and, and this this list of all of these things that he dove into and, and went after and, and tried to find, you know, meaning in, um, is realized that he tried all of these things through his own effort. And again, he self-admittedly, he says, like, I, I, anything that, that I thought might have some sort of pleasure in it, I did it. Right? And, and obviously, he had the means to do that. I mean, he was able to, to just dive right again. He could go to any... In, Way more extreme than most any other any of us could certainly do. Right? And he said, but I, I tried to do it myself. I tried to find pleasure, right? I tried to find meaning in this life. And so as he dove in, he gives us this, this huge list of things, right, that he that the world said would, would bring him pleasure. In fact, he, he starts out um, by saying, I dove into alcohol. Right? I, I drank wine, right? I, I, I tried to give myself some pleasure through that. Right? And then he says, well, and when that didn't work, then I moved on. I, I, I built myself huge houses, right? And, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, this huge, fancy, you know, I, I spared no expense, right? They built myself these mansions and, and castles, right? And it, but again, what, I mean, what good is a big, beautiful house if you don't have a bunch of beautiful land to go with it, right? So, so he says, oh, I, I, I planted these vineyards and these, this, the, the landscape was just, was just gorgeous. And, and I invested all of this, these, you know, um, reservoirs and plants and, and all these things. And, and now I've got this beautiful land, but I, I don't want to take care of it myself. So I hired people, right? And, and, and I, I get these, you know, people and, and I hire people to make it even more beautiful and, and to do things I couldn't do. And, uh, you know, again, we think about that idea. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my house and be like, when's the maid showing up, you know? Like, like this, uh, we need some help here. And, you know, I mean, it never happens. And we have to, you know, that, but he, again, he hired people to do it for him, right? And, and he's like, that still didn't, 
didn't fulfill, right? And, and he's like, and then, well, I, I had huge herds of animals and, you know, I mean, horses and sheep. And I mean, you think about it, he had it. I mean, these huge herds, right? These, um, you know, more than any other king before him, right? If, if, if none of that worked, right? He said, you know, jewelry and, and, and cash, right? Gold and silver, I mean, enough for, for so, you know, so many kings and, and princes and, and more than you can imagine. Like I just, you know, surrounded myself with wealth. Right? And he says, well, and, but I was still bored, so I hired professional entertainers to come in and to sing for me and, you know, the best ones in the world and, and coming through. And, and even that didn't really fulfill. And, and then so, you know, he says he was surrounded by, by beautiful women, right, and concubines. I mean, hundreds of them. And again, a concubine was, was literally just a, a lady that was there for his pleasure, right, and to bear him children. Again, you think about our world and think about how, how – how we sexualize everything and how much lust is in our culture. And, and again, he, he just, he dove right into it, right? And, and then he gets to the end of this list. And he's like, and, you know, the only thing that ever I ever found any kind of pleasure in, right, was, was hard work. And you know, we look at this list and we're like, wow, this guy had everything. And he literally, he did. Right? And yet we look at this list and this list is literally the world's definition of a life well lived. Again, he, gets to, he gets through this, he expects, experienced all of these things. And again, especially the American dream says, hey, if I just have a bigger house, right? If I just have more money, if I, if I can hire the maid, if I can, you know, the, the best entertainment, I can just dive into the world of lust, right? I can do all of these things, like it will bring me happiness. I mean, this is the world's definition of pleasure, right? And yet, it's interesting, the only thing that brought him even anything of, of beyond just momentary pleasure was hard work. And yet even that was Hebel. I say, even that faded, even that didn't bring me any lasting joy. Right? We, we see, again, this list, he denied himself nothing. Right? But it was all on his own effort. Right? And he gets to the end of the list, right, and says, it's Hebel. And then we see him kind of dive a little deeper into the explanation of his feelings here in, uh, in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. So I want to pick up again Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18, where he says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Right, and think about that. The only thing he even find any longer pleasure in was hard work. And yet, now he says, I even came to hate that. For I must leave to others everything that I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything that I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How pebble. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, and they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is Hebel, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all Hebel. And again, he continues down this really high, encouraging track. 
right? As, as he's looking again at this list, and he's like, you know what? The only thing that even brought me any kind of lasting pleasure was work, and yet even that, right, is, is heaven. Right? But he dives into this as he, as he dives a little deeper, goes to the next level of his own feelings, that he gives us two reasons why he feels like this whole list is completely hebel. And, and the first thing he, he points out is that all, none of these things are eternal. Okay, this entire list is, is incredibly temporary. Again, did, did, did he find pleasure in it? Well, yeah, he did, momentary pleasure. Right? But he's like, but at the end of the day, they're all hebel because they're not eternal. They're, they're all fleeting. It just, I can, I can grasp it for a second, and then it just disappears. Right? And yet, we, we understand, right, even from his own words in Ecclesiastes, we've seen, says God has put eternity on the heart of man. Right? And we know that there's something beyond tomorrow. Right? We understand, right, that we were created, right, with an eternal soul. And again, that's kind of that, that's that hole within us that, that we try so desperately to fill, and yet we realize none of those things, this entire list, is not eternal. Right, and that's why it doesn't fill that empty void. Right, because we were created in the image of God, and, and God is eternal, and therefore so is our soul. And again, did he find momentary pleasure in this list? Uh, yeah. Right, he did. In fact, as we look at this list, I mean, sin is, sin is fun. Right, if sin was not fun, nobody would want to do it. Right, and, and, but yet the, the pleasure that comes from sinful choices is a lie. Right, and again, that's the lie of the temptation. The lie is do this and you'll find pleasure, right? You'll find fulfillment, right? But, but that's just the thing is it's a lie. Right? Because we do find momentary fun or momentary pleasure in those sinful choices, but then when we, we come out worse on the other side, right? and that's, that's the deception. Right? And the more that we dive in, the more that we realize that when I come out the other side, I'm actually worse off than I was before I gave in. Right? And, and, and when we are, again, with Christ, with our eternal soul, and realize right, that we're moving towards Christ, the more that I dive into this list, the more I come out the other side realizing I'm not closer to God at all. In fact, I'm actually further away, right? Every time I, I indulge into this list, it pushes me further and further away from who God is and what I was created to do, which is to be in a relationship with him, right? And as we know, we look at our faith journey and saying our journey is a part of getting closer to Christ tomorrow than I am today. And, and yet every time I find that momentary fun and pleasure from a sinful choice, I end up further away from God which is why we end up feeling worse, right, after that, that fleeting pleasure leaves. Because nothing on that list is eternal. Right? And then yet, again, why it, it moves us further away because the more that I strive for these things on this list, right, is the more pain and grief and anxiety it brings into my life. Right? He said, I mean, he says that, right? He says, yeah, and man, like, I mean, even when I get this, like, there's just, there's, there's just, there's all these ripples to these choices, right? And, and these choices bring pain, they bring grief, they, they, they bring anxiety in my life. Again, if the more money I get, the more worried I am that somebody's going to take it. 
Right? And, and again, it just pushes me further and further away from where God wants me to go. And then I just stand back and be like, yeah, it's pebble. Right? It's, 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 it's empty. It's meaningless. And, and again, we, we find pleasure for a moment, and all it does is later bring worry. So as we, again, look at his observations, at his, his conclusions here of a man who denied himself no pleasure. He's saying, well, can pleasure and even wealth be godly at all? I mean, are these things, should I just run from pleasure? Should I, you know, just give away all of my money and, and just, just not, I mean, does that mean, right, that, that I just, as a follower of, of Jesus, that I just have to be miserable all of the time? I, I don't believe that that's his point. Okay, so as we, we present this question, can pleasure and wealth ever be godly? Okay, let's, let's continue through chapter 2 as we pick up at verse 24. So he gets all of his conclusion and saying why everything is hebel. And then he says, so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction at work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. And so this, too, is Hebel, like chasing the wind. You know, he, again, gets to this point, right? Like, Through my own efforts, right, it is just, there, it's completely Hebel. Right? He's like, and yet... Right, is, is pleasure and wealth are still something that we see in this world and, and something that actually literally comes from God. In fact, again, if you're the, the, the type of person that, that writes in your Bible, I encourage you to underline verse 25. Okay, because verse 25, he says, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? All right, that's the key. Right, the key is, if it's with God, right, then God puts his blessing on it. And if God puts his blessing on things, then you will find pleasure. That's the only way you're going to find true pleasure. Right, God is the key. In fact, he, he tells us, right, in, in the midst of that, right, that, that you cannot experience true pleasure or true wealth without God. Because even if you strive with your own efforts, like, it'll still be taken away from you. Okay, he tells us in verse 24 that literally pleasure is from the hand of God. Like, it is a gift from God to us. Right, is to find pleasure in things. Right, but again, this, it's, it's not, it's not a, a fleeting pleasure. It's, it's, not, it's not a deceptive pleasure, but it's one that, that we will find lasting fulfillment in. Right, because it's, it's from God, right? It is holy. It is something that will, will actually fill the void within yourself that nothing else can fill. Right? And pleasure literally comes from the hand of God. Right? And if, if we follow him and if we seek him, like we can find true pleasure in life. But yet, it also comes with a warning, right? He says, like, again, pleasure can be godly. In fact, it comes straight from God. 
if you're following him and, and focusing on him. But then he gives us a warning in Ecclesiastes 11.9 about pleasure. He says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. Again, is it, is it, you know, should we not follow pleasure? No, in fact, his advice is saying, you know, do it. Like, enjoy life. Find pleasure, right, in wherever you find it. But just, but remember, right, that, that the choices you make, you have to give an account to them, to our creator. Right, we have a warning about finding pleasure and seeking it on our, on our own accord, right? Like, Remember, it comes from God, and, and remember, if you make ungodly choices in the pursuit of pleasure, you're going to have to answer. Again, he never questions that God exists. He never questions even God's love for us, right, and especially God's sovereignty, God's authority. Right, Is, can pleasure be godly? Yes. Because does God want us to enjoy life? Yes, he does. In fact, as followers of Christ, we should have the most enjoyable life of anybody on the face of the planet. Right? But the warning is, but remember, right, you're accountable to God right, for how you find pleasure. And so, again, we see pleasure right, come straight from God. And then yet also he tells us here, as well as all throughout Scripture, right, that wealth is actually a reward for pleasing God. I mean, that's literally what he says, right? He's like, if you gain wealth through your own efforts, through simple ways, like God will literally take that wealth from you and give it to somebody that pleases him. Right, it comes as a gift from God, right? He says he will bless you, right, and give you wealth. Again, is it sinful to be wealthy? No, it's not. Right? And the truth of the matter is the fact that we are here in America means that we are in the top, like, few percent of the world for wealthiness. Right, even those that live at the American poverty level are extremely wealthy compared to the rest of the world. They, and, and again, if we find ourselves not at the poverty level in America, then that puts us like in the top 1% of wealth in the world. Again, is it, is it a sinful to be wealthy to have? No, it's not. Right? In fact, wealth can be a reward for pleasing God. Right, but again, remember the warning from pleasure, right, is if you get pleasure, remember, you're, you're, hold, you're held accountable to God for the wealth that he gives you. Right, in fact, Jesus, again, taught this concept over and over and over again through the gospel. Right, the wealth we see all through scripture is, is a reward for those that please God. And, and again, he tells us that again in verse 26. But just like pleasure, wealth also comes with a warning. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, he tells us those who love money will never have enough. How hebel to think that wealth brings true happiness. Those who love money will never have enough. Boy, that is not to find our culture. Right? Those who love money will never have enough. But again, what's the problem? The problem in here, never having enough, that the money is not the problem, right? That's, that, that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the problem that he presents, right? The problem, right, is if we love that money. Because as, as you know, heirs of the image of God, right, who are loved by our creator, 
Right? We're only supposed to love him. Right? We're supposed to love God, not money. We're supposed to love God and love others. Right? The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Right? We're supposed to love. We were created to love. Right? But if we love the wrong thing, it's going to get us into really big trouble. Again, wealth is not the problem here. The problem is what we love. Right? And, and yet, the warning, right, is if you have pleasure, if you have wealth, even if it's godly, there's, there's this temptation, right, that it's going to push you off the path. Right? And just the, the key here is to make sure, right, that you're focusing 100% on God and not on the pleasure and not on the money. Right? And that's where, again, I want to conclude today. As, as we jump over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18, where he says, Even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging? Right, there's at least one thing that's good, right? Even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Right now, as we, you know, look at these, these words, right, these saying. Can pleasure and wealth be godly? Yes, they most certainly can be. Right? And, and we see again, the key that unlocks true joy in this world is not anything from that list that we started with, right? but the key is focusing on God. And again, notice he, he, in these verses, he says that the gift of God is to enjoy your life and to, and to, to use what you have. And again, not using it for yourself, but using it for him. And using it for his glory. That Jesus Christ is the destination of my journey. And that my focus is on him, no matter what. Right? No matter how helpful life becomes, no matter how pleasurable it is, no matter how poor I am or how wealthy I am, my life is still focused on God, and he is the destination of my journey. But he is the key, right, that unlocks true pleasure in this world. And again, not just pleasure, but joy. Right? Joy is different than happiness. Right? Because joy comes from God and joy is eternal. It is not temporary. Right? This, this whole list we started with, as we said, he denied himself no pleasure, it was all temporary. Right? But God is eternal. Right? And that's what joy brings if we serve him. If we focus on Right, he tells us here to fulfill our, God, our God-given role. Right? Again, he uses the phrase to enjoy your lot in life. Right? Just the role God's given you, do it and do it with everything you have. Okay, enjoy, your, uh, enjoy your lot in life. Right? He says to use what God provides. If he gives you wealth, then use it. Right? God doesn't want to make you wealthy just, just to have a big bank account. God will give it to you, right? then use it. And again, so many times we feel like we get things right, and we don't use them because right? we're so worried about Again, all the anxiety that's brought, right? Again, I, I think about we've 
we've had a boat. I love the lake. I love going to the boat. We, we've owned several boats in our life. And, and, you know, but one of the things, again, we've had really nice one. Back, I've been at the lake and, you know, seeing, again, we use our stuff, right? I mean, again, God provides it. We're going to use it. And, you know, I've been there at the lake where people have these beautiful boats, right? And yet they're so afraid to use them because it might get scratched or, you know, it might, you know, something might happen. I say there's, you know, our boat, there's, you know, letters on the side. We'd lose a letter every time we go out because it hit against the dock, right? And like another one would fall off, right? And, but, it, but it was fun, right? We enjoyed it. It's like, what, what, it's like, I'm like, what point is that beautiful boat if it just sits on the trailer? Right? Like, like you got to use it. If God gives it to you, use it. Right? And, and he tells us, like, use what God provides. Like, not only is it a, but to provide it, but also have the time to use it. And he says, do it. Dive in. Right? And, and to fulfill our God-given role, use what God provides. And do what God leads you to do. Right? Fulfill your role. Right? In fact, if you do this, God will keep you so busy enjoying life. Right? That you won't even notice when things don't go your way. Right, he's saying be, be so engrossed in enjoying life right, that you won't even care. Right, and again, I don't know about you, but I hope I get to the end of my life and be like, man, Brian enjoyed life before God so much. Right, like that, I want that to be the definition of a life well lived. Right, and as we think about that, and, and again, the challenge that it gives us is, you know, as we look at our own faith journey, right, is, how am I moving forward? Am I using everything that God's given me? Am I living into the role that God's given me? Am I enjoying my lot in life? Right? No matter, again, how tough life gets, no matter, you know, how wealthy or poor that I am, right? Again, my focus is not on wealth or even on pleasure, but on the joy of serving God and walking with him every day. That brings me then to my final thought this morning, and that's this. True wealth and true joy can only come if your life is completely focused on God. So is Jesus Christ the destination of the journey? Because if the destination of your life journey is anything other than Christ, it will be completely hevel. Right? That's, that's the key that unlocks eternal life, is serving God and keeping our focus on him. Right? And I hope this morning, again, that you've joined the journey, you received Christ as your Savior, and if you're walking with Christ, journeying forward in your faith, right, that we never take our focus off of our true destination. And that is God. And that will unlock true joy.